Welcome to Student Takeover Weekend. This is our annual weekend where students just kind of run the whole weekend. And I'm, let's just start this way. If you were born between the eight years of 1997 and 2010, I want you to stand up right where you're at. Stand up. Ages of 2007, 2010. Everyone else, give these guys the biggest round of applause they've ever heard ever. These guys are amazing. If you, you've probably seen a bunch of students with the MRC Youth shirt on them. If, you know what? If anyone else has those shirts on, I think, Kelsey, I see you. I see a couple of girls in the back. You guys are actually, I want you guys to come up here. Kelsey, come up here. You two girls back there, come up here. Anyone else with a youth t-shirt on? The Mercer Youth, youth 3, join this crowd up here. These students decided they wanted to give their whole weekend to serve here at our church. They wanted to be a part and contribute to the life of our church. And I think there's actually a bunch more students in the lobby with these shirts on. So if they come up here, we might put them up there or they just might collapse into the baptistry and they all get baptized instantly. So that would be just a really efficient way of baptizing our new generation. So, hey, my name is Luke. I'm the Next Gen Pastor here. Let's welcome those who are joining us online because they slept in. We're so glad that you joined us. We love you too. You are wonderful. You are wonderful. This generation right here, Gen Z, this generation is God's ace in the hole. They are so passionate. They are so creative. They crave to make their lives matter. And they will do things in God's kingdom that none of us have ever seen before. They're going to take all kinds of advancements in God's kingdom. And they're going to make a whole lot of damage in the evil kingdom. Amen? This generation, I'm telling you, this generation is going to do things and is going to show us adults what it means to live out their faith in a deteriorating world. I love this generation. Gen Z, they're, they're my life. And many of you are like, why does he keep saying Generation Z? Well, because two reasons. One, it's the last letter of the alphabet. And two, it's because it's the zombie generation, right? You know, they're walking on the sidewalk. Whoa, car almost hit me, right? Like, we've all seen those YouTube videos. They're, they have the strongest thumbs on the planet because they're just, you know, they're doing this so, so often. Gen Z does not know life apart from technology. They are the generation that grew up with the Internet in their pocket. It's amazing. This generation is so unique, so incredible. This time last year, I gave an entire expose on Generation Z the five distinguishing characteristics, what makes them stand out from every other generation. If your curiosity is peaked, get online later, look for June 2017, Student Takeover Weekend, and you can learn uh, the five qualifiers of Gen Z and what makes them stand out from every other generation because they are so wildly unique. And my aim this morning is to, one, inspire us as a church, adults, to participate in raising up this brand new generation to grip the gospel, take it to the world, and raise them up in God, that they would love God with all their hearts and love people with all their hearts. I want you to find the youth inside of you this morning, church, but I also want to persuade you that your work and your investment in Gen Z might be the most important thing you ever do, ever. So we're going to answer two very specific questions. Question one is, what is the problem that Gen Z faces? What's the problem that Gen Z faces, and what is the solution within their reach because many of you out there are like, oh, kids these days, they're just on their phone, blah, blah, blah. 
you know what? They are so wildly different in the way that they've grown up and formed than the way that you did. So I'm going to ask you as adults to have a very open mind. Just open your mind to the possibilities of learning about this generation and what it means to raise them up in Christ. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for Generation Z. Thanks so much for what you've already done through them, what you will continue to do through them. God, we're totally amazed by your son Jesus, that he would live and that he would die and that he would rise and that he would reign for us as our king. And I pray right now that you would use Generation Z in ways that you've always hoped and dreamed that you would. And God, would you release this generation to make all kinds of terrible impact in the enemy's kingdom, that his kingdom would deteriorate and fall and fail. And we pray that they would advance your glorious gospel into the rest of the world. We pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen. This is, this is, why, this is why Gen Z is so different from the millennial generation and all the generations before. Because they are the five-screen generation. Now, what I mean by that is they've got their iWatch, their iPhone, their iPad, their MacBook, and their TV. They've got five screens. That is unprecedented in world history. Did you grow up with five screens? No, you didn't. You grew up with a Palm Pilot or a notepad and pen. That's probably your generation, right, Jeff? You grew up with a Palm Pilot, didn't you? I could totally see you with a Palm Pilot. They are the five-screen generation. They do not know life apart from those five screens. They grew up with the internet in their pocket. No other generation has grown up with the internet in their pocket. Trends come and go so fast in Gen Z, it'll make your head spin right off. You know how I know? Because as disturbing as the great Fortnite epidemic of 2018 has been, it's a lot more interesting than the bottle flipping pandemic of 2016 and far more fun than the fidget spinner fever of 2017. Where's everyone's fidget spinners? Oh, they're in the trash because nobody liked them after four days, right? Because the trends, they come and they go so fast in Gen Z. So it's actually really challenging to find the problems that they face on a daily basis because things come and go so, so quickly. I've been uh, working with teenagers now for over 10 years and if there's, if there's one thing that I know about this generation is that uh, you will not find them without their tech. You will not find them without their tech at any given moment. It is an extension of who they are. It is, they have a digital identity that is central to their everyday life. It's not good or bad. It just is. It is what they experience on a daily basis. I want to share with you some statistics about Gen Z that a group called Youth for Christ did with a group of 1,001 teenagers in the United Kingdom. The reason I think the United Kingdom is important is because typically the trends in the UK make their way west. And what they do, we eventually do in terms of technology trends. So this is what you, uh, YFC asked 1,000 teenagers, these three questions. This is the first question that was asked. What activities and hobbies do you enjoy doing in your spare time? Keep in mind students could select more than one answer. They said this, watching YouTube videos, 81%. TV and film, 77%. Social media, 74%. Spending time with friends, 73%. Gaming, 61%. Now, many of those statistics are probably not surprising to you. If you're a parent of a middle school student, you're like, yeah, they live for YouTube. I mean, I find, that on, find them on you know, the wee hours of the morning, learning how to like, build something that I never dreamed I could even build, right? Like, it's amazing, the educator of YouTube. What's surprising is this follow-up question. 
Who or what are the top three people, things that make you feel bad about yourself? And teenagers said this, social media, 67%, friends, 41%, and YouTubers, 40%. Church, don't miss this very distinguishing characteristic of Generation Z. The things that Gen Z enjoy doing the most are also the things that make them feel worst about themselves. The things that Gen Z enjoy doing the most are also the things that make them feel worse about themselves. How could that be? It's because you and I don't have context for what it means to grow up with the internet in their pocket. I've been working with teenagers long enough now to, to come to a bit of a shocking conclusion. Many, many students in Gen Z, not all, but many students in Gen Z, when they receive or send a message, or read something online, or from social media, or see something on Facebook, or whatever it might be, because it came through the, the medium of technology, it's deemed true. It's deemed inerrant. I want you to consider that for a second. Many, my generation and the generations before mine might be like, what? What, what are you, how could that possibly be? You didn't grow up with the internet in your pocket. They have an high volume of messages coming to them at any given moment, at any time of the day. Th that means that Gen Z has access to every little bit of information that has ever been placed on the web. And it's in their pockets. So the source, their primary source of information has also become their primary source of truth. So Gen Z often gets their messages from tech and believe that it is inerrant. Not all, but some, many. That is unprecedented, totally unprecedented. Let me ask you this. Can you imagine, can you imagine what the enemy would do with that open door in a preteen or teenager's heart? Can you imagine the, the things that the enemy would want to do to try to persuade a preteen or a teenager away from God? So the real question I pose to you is, is technology really the problem that Gen Z faces? Is that their unique problem? Now, I think the lazy kind of answer is to jump to like, yeah, Luke, it totally is the problem. You should see how much my kid's on their phone. I'm like, you bought it for him. What are you complaining to me? We're like, you know what I'm saying? Like, many parents, and you're like, yeah, I believe that technology is really the problem, but I'm here to persuade you otherwise. I do not believe that technology is their problem. Let me tell you why. Because in 3500 BC, the wheel was invented, and that was a massive leap in technology, and that wasn't the problem, right? In 1430, the printing press was invented. That was a massive leap in technology, and that wasn't the problem. In 1946, the microwave was invented. That was a massive leap in technology, and that wasn't the problem. So what really is the problem? You see, church, this is just a morally neutral object. I can open it up, and I can start texting students scripture verses, and I can promote uh, ministry events, and I can share something inspiring that the God told me on, on Instagram, and then someone on the other side of the world can use it to traffic someone. And someone uh, somewhere else can use it to scam you. This is only as morally good or bad as the operator. Right? 
technology is not the problem. It is the high volume of messages that are untrue that preteens and teenagers can access via technology. The enemy has always been the problem. The enemy will always be the problem. And he's chosen to use in this generation what they enjoy doing the most to make them feel worse about themselves. I want you to consider for a moment that Gen Z has a giant target on their back. And the enemy wants to take them out by confusing them with a high volume of untrue messages. As a matter of fact, we've seen a backlash of this in our culture in the past couple of years with the whole fake news thing, right? We've actually sensed this as a real thing in society, untrue messages. We've pushed back against this. We've pushed back against it. Gen Z deals with those untrue messages on a daily basis as a part of their everyday life. John 8.44 confirms that the enemy is the problem, right? You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks it from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Man, the enemy lives to lie. Man, that's what, he's, that's what, he's, that's what he does. He deceives, he confuses, he lies. What better to use than the, like the worst game of telephone ever. If I can just like confuse people with this new piece of technology that humanity has introduced to themselves, I can get a lot of lies out there, can't I? You can just imagine just the door that the enemy has opened up to confuse this new generation. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says the same thing. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. The enemy disguises, he confuses, he lies, and we buy it. He tells lies, he deceives, he confuses. He doesn't just want to disrupt our lives, he wants to destroy our lives. And if he can confuse us enough, he can destroy us. The enemy is the problem. The Apostle Paul recognized this problem in one of the churches in the, Med in the Mediterranean. After Jesus went to heaven and reigns, uh, reigned as our king and still reigns as our king, the Apostle Paul he was this incredible church planter in the Mediterranean. He would go and plant all these churches and leave them for leaders to, to run. And he writes this specific letter to the church in Ephesus, addressing something very similar that Gen Z is facing now. The problem is ancient old. It's just the application is contemporary, right? This is what Paul says in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of who? The Son of God. And become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. You know what the enemy does? He gets lies out there. He, he gets the waves. He gets the wind coming at us from every single stinking direction. And Gen Z's got this big old target on their back. And they're getting messages every single day, dozens and dozens and dozens of times per day. And the wind and the waves are against them. And the deceitfulness of cunning and deceitful people. And you know what the enemy does? If he can get 
people confused, then those people confuse people. Church, confused people confuse people. And then we have a bunch of really confused people. And the enemy's like, I love this game. I love this confusion game. If I can just get God's people confused, I can kick back and they can take care of the rest. Because they'll just confuse each other. Confused people confuse people. That high volume of message that Gen Z gets every single day, the enemy is having a party with. YFC, this group in the United Kingdom, confirms this very thing. Um, they, they ask students this question, this third and final question, what influences, influences you the most in the area of faith and religion? They said family, 73%. So families, those families out there that are doing everything they can to raise up their children in God, keep after it, man. Keep going. Teachers, 36%. Friends, 36%. TV and media, 23%. The news, 21%. Videos online, 11%. Celebrities, 9%. And youth workers, 9%. I am tied with Kim Kardashian. Any youth worker out there, I don't know what to say. We have a lot of ground to take, right, Beth? We have a lot of space to grow. We're just beginning to capture the attention of a brand new generation. So what really then is the solution to this epidemic? Because it's a heck of a lot more important than bottle flipping and fidget spinning and Fortnite. Those trends will come and go. But man, this is, eternity can hang in the balance for a teenager or a preteen So what's the solution? I want us to guide our eyes back to verse 13. Paul says this, unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. That word knowledge in the Greek is epignosis. Epignosis in Greek means this, precise and correct knowledge of things ethical and divine. Right? Like, whoa, that was powerful. Let me say it again. Epignosis, precise and correct knowledge of things ethical and divine. So yes, there is an incorrect way and a correct way of perceiving God, yourselves, and the world. Truth is not relative. If truth is not relative in a courtroom, it is not relative in matters of God. And as Christians, we stand on the word of God as the measuring rod to test any and all other truth claims. Amen? So that word epignosis, knowledge, where does that knowledge come from? Where does the knowledge of the Son of God come from? Knowledge of the Son of God comes from the word of God. We know that God has revealed himself generally in creation. We look around and we see a created order and therefore we deduce there must be a creator. You wouldn't walk up to an Audi and be like, wow, what a beautiful car. With enough time and chance, that thing really came together well. No, but yet the cornea of our eye is infinitely more complex and complicated than that car could ever be. So we know that Romans even says in the first chapter that man is without excuse simply because of creation. So God has revealed himself generally in creation, but specifically in God's word. We see that Jesus is displayed in God's word. We see that God's plan is revealed in God's word. We see that our identities are revealed in God's word. We see the goodness and the character of God revealed in 
God's word. Knowledge, epignosis, precise and correct knowledge of things ethical and divine comes from the word of God. Church, if, uh, if Generation Z knew how to operate that ancient piece of technology called the Bible, as well as they're able to operate their current technology, we'd see revival. We'd see a whole nation sweep back to God. We'd see a whole nation of youth bow before the king. Because knowledge of the Son of God comes from the word of God. Verse 14 talks about how the enemy is aware of this. He's aware that the knowledge of Jesus comes from the word of God. And he's going to do everything he possibly can to stop that plan from happening. Look at verse 14. Tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching. Now, I'm a fisherman. Anyone else out there a fisherman or a boater? Anyone love to be on the water? Yeah, my, my dad and I take fishing very seriously. It's like, it's like follow Jesus, fishing. That's about the order, right? So I really, really, really love fishing. And my dad and I, he's got a bass, but we go out pretty regularly. There is nothing more annoying than trying to fish in the wind. You with me? It's the worst. You're like tossing your lure and it's like coming back at your face and then it hooks your buddy in the rear end. You're like, oh, what have I caught? And it's just this horrible experience because the wind makes everything more complicated. The waves crash against the boat and toss your boat against the rocks. Notice how Paul is drawing an analogy from boating, which was a big deal in the Mediterranean. So what do I do? If I'm out on the water and I'm fishing with my dad, what do I do? I toss an anchor out. I toss an anchor out, not so much that my boat won't crash against the rocks, but so that I can keep fishing, keep doing the good that I wanted to do. Students, I need to talk to you for a second. I need to ask you a simple question. What is your anchor? We all need an anchor. Church, what is your anchor? Because we are all in this boat called life, and the enemy is going to send waves, he's going to send wind, and if you are without an anchor, you're going to be confused. So what's our job? We're sitting in the boat, right? We're sitting in this boat, and in this boat, we're, we're doing life, and we're trying to get through life, and we're excited about life, and then all of a sudden, the wind kicks up. We're like, whoa, where'd that wind come from? I didn't see that one coming. And then the waves kick up. We're like, whoa, where'd those waves come from? I didn't see, I didn't see that coming. And, and God is like, yo, you've got this anchor available to you. What will you do with your anchor? And simply, Gen Z, God is calling you to toss out your anchor. Because when you toss out your anchor, it's going to stabilize you in the storm. Are you with me? It's going to stabilize you when the wind comes. It's going to stabilize you when the waves come. If your anchor is anything but the word of God, you will not be stabilized. You will be tossed by every wind. You'll be tossed by every wave. We can throw out the anchor. The anchor is God's word. God's word shapes our opinion of God, ourselves, and the world. Amen? So let's answer the first two original questions that I asked at the top of this message. 
The problem that Gen Z faces is confusion. The solution within their reach is confidence in their anchor. And I use anchor dualistically, right? Jesus, students, Jesus is the captain of your life's boat. And if you allow him to captain that boat, he will take you to places you could only dream of and imagine. And in that boat, you're going to experience waves and you're going to experience wind. But at your disposal, you have this anchor. And this anchor is solid and it's stable and it's good. It's living and it's breathing. And yeah, it might help you keep from making some bad decisions. But what it's going to allow you to do is keep fishing. So you can keep following the life that God has planned out before you. So you can keep running the race of faith. So you can keep obeying God in all things. We had a student uh, graduate about a year ago. And this girl, this young woman of God, is just wildly in love with God. Her name is Kelsey Yoder. She's actually sitting right up there on stage. And two years ago, uh, Kelsey and I and another dozen students, we went to Detroit. And in Detroit, we um, were in this mission trip, and it was just awesome because it was hot, and it was just like working really hard and seeing students like work together. It was just it was amazing. And every morning, we would have like a little miniature devotional, like a Bible study type of thing. It was great. I remember one specific morning, Kelsey took her Bible and she gave it to one of her peers because her peer had never had a Bible before. And I, I saw Kelsey respond emotionally. You could tell she was struck by the reality of what she had just done, that she had given her anchor away. This anchor had been used. My gosh, this thing was practically falling apart. It had post-it notes of all colors everywhere, scribbles, duct tape, bubble gum, you name it. Like, it was a used Bible, you could tell this girl had been tossing out her anchor on a daily basis, not just to stabilize her life, but so that she could keep fishing, so she could do the good God had called her to do. Kelsey went on to start her own ministries at her university. The girl is on fire. She's going to change the whole world. With one simple common denominator in her life, that she threw out God's anchor on a consistent basis. It reminded me of a quote that The preacher of all preachers once said, Charles Spurgeon said this, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. Are you with me? A Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. Church, can I just ask you a real straightforward question? How new does your Bible look? Is your Bible falling apart or is it brand spanking new? Because if it's brand spanking new, it's time for that thing to start deteriorating. Use it. It's your anchor. It is your anchor at your disposal. Because the enemy has a target on our back. His aim is to confuse. God wants to give us confidence in him and in his word. The band's going to come back up here in a moment and lead us in a couple more songs of worship. And as they do, I'm just going to ask you, church, um, I'm going to ask you to consider getting involved in this new generation. You know, it, this is all easy to say, much harder to do. What's it mean for a church body to raise up a new generation in Christ? 
Help me turn that 9% into 90%. I don't want to be on par with Kim Kardashian. Get involved. There's a whole generation of kids in Mercy Kids. There's a whole generation of students, of middle schoolers and high schoolers, that are craving epignosis, a correct thinking and knowledge of things ethical and divine. And it comes from God's word. And they're waiting for adult generations to teach them and pour into them and love them and shape their opinion of God themselves and the world through God's word. Amen. Or maybe you're an adult and you're like, Luke, I could toss my anchor. I've literally never used my anchor. And I'm confident God right now in his infinite wisdom is calling you to consider getting to know him, the captain of your lifeboat, more intimately. We just started summer. There's literally no better time to open up your word. Open up that Bible. Start underlining things. Start circling things. Put post-it notes in it. Duct tape it up. Use bubble gum. Cheese, I don't care. At your disposal, you have an anchor. There's people on the other side of the road right now that are craving an anchor in their life. They don't have access to one. Many of us have numerous Bibles at home that are in drawers that look brand new. God is calling us to be a people of his word, a people of mission. When we get into God's word, we commune with him, we dine with him, we go to the table with him. We ask him to shape our opinion of himself, the world, and ourselves. And you have an opportunity to do that this summer. Church, please help me turn Gen Z's confusion into confidence. Lord, we love you. We're confident that your word can do in us what we could never do for ourselves. We know that the waves and the wind and every teaching, every deceitful thing that the enemy sends our way can be conquered by your word. We know that we can be stabilized in the storm because we toss out our anchor on a daily basis so that we can have epignosis, a divine understanding of things ethical, a divine understanding of things of you. I pray that you would move any adult in here right now to make a decision in their heart, yes, I want to be tossing my anchor on a daily basis. Yeah, I want to be involved in raising up Gen Z to be successful in ministry and successful spiritually. God, I pray that you'd move those people to go get prayer in the prayer room. Ultimately, we trust you. We give you ourselves. We give you the future. And we ask that you would do what you always wanted to do with Generation Z. Amen.